It's time for JT the Brick. Hey, JT, how you doing, man? Now there's a new team, and everybody's pretty much new, and I got their back. I want this thing to work. Everybody's got to get on the same page. JT the Brick. Yeah, there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be last-second losses. There's going to be a draft pick that doesn't make the team. Whatever it is, it's Raider Nation. JT, thanks for having me on. Always great to catch up with you, and keep it going, okay? I'll talk to you soon, man. And now, here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT, as we start a new week here, we get rolling on the flagship of the Silver and Black, Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m. and streaming, as you know, on the Raiders mobile app. So we're excited about that. Big show today. A show that I like. I hope you enjoy it, too, because it's the offseason for the Raiders, but we have tremendous Raider content. Fred Bolitnikoff, Raider royalty on the Mount Rushmore of the all-time Raiders, period. That will never change. Fred Bolitnikoff in five minutes. Former quarterback in the NFL, had a hell of a career, mostly with New Orleans. Aaron Brooks, who played quarterback for the Raiders for one season, He's going to join us, once a Raider, always a Raider. Uh, Top of next hour, the Latino voice of the silver and black, Harry Ruiz, will be here on the show. And then at the bottom, 130, one of the best boxing analysts I know, James Smitty Smith from In This Corner TV, on the massive upset of Canelo Alvarez in our town in Vegas, which was shocking to me. The only Canelo fight I didn't go to because I had plans a month ago And I thought he would win easily. Man, was I wrong. As Canelo uh, lost. And how about that Kentucky Derby stunner with Rich Strike on Saturday? What a weekend in sports. I didn't even mention the NBA playoffs with Philadelphia and James Harden. The Warriors and Memphis getting really chippy. Phoenix was up 2-0. Now it's 2-2 against Luka Doncic. NBA playoffs are unbelievable. And a lot more to get to here. So, If you want to get through, 702-365-9200. We look for Raider fans who have a purpose to call this show. It's not, hi, JT, how you doing? No, no. Have a purpose. Call the show with what you want to talk about, and we'll jump into it, and we'll get into it in between the interviews here, and we'll recap what was really one of the most historic upset weekends of all time, all time, at a level of James Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson, the 1980 Olympic hockey team beating the Russians. If you look at the long odds and what happened in both the and the Kentucky Derby, let's get to the final call of the Kentucky Derby because it was so epic. It was one of the most beautiful rides you could ever see. And as you listen to the voice of the Derby call the finish, they didn't even know that Rich Strike had a chance. The winner was so far back. Listen to the call as they're calling the favorites, trying to win it, and listen to how it ends. 45.36 seconds for Summer is Tomorrow, who heads up the backstretch in front with Japan's crown pride right alongside, and Messier goes up in between those two. The pace continues to be hot. Zozos is next after three quarters in one minute, ten and four-fifth seconds, and now Epicenter comes splitting horses and is moving up quickly as Crown Pride takes the lead around the far turn. It is Crown Pride battling with Messier. They're stride for stride. Epicenter and Zozos in behind them. Cyberknife swings up on the outside. Sandon gets the rail run, and they're into the stretch, and it's Messier, Crown Pride, and Epicenter is coming up on the outside. Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandon is coming after him. Epicenter and Sandon, these two, stride for stride. 
simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. That was center's ended. Rich strike is coming up on the inside. Oh my goodness! The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Rich strike has done it in a stunning, unbelievable upset. NBC on the call, one of the greatest sports play-by-play calls I've ever heard, ever. I went back and listened to that. I did it on my show last night. I couldn't believe it. Rich Strike wasn't even called down the back stretch. They're saying, we're down. It's the final. And then, boom, this horse gets shot out of a cannon, and it's the second greatest upset in the history of this race that's coming up on 150 years. If you watch that race with friends, if you watched it with family, if you were in a sports book, call me today and tell us about that. Vegas is big with thoroughbred horse racing. That was incredible. And then later on that night, Canelo loses. Canelo, who's only lost one fight in his life. That was to Floyd, fight he never should have took. And Dimitri Bivol beats him and beats him with a unanimous decision because Canelo just didn't have it. Canelo didn't have it. He was fighting a much bigger, taller, stronger fighter. So that was upset Saturday, the Derby and the Canelo loss on the cover of the Las Vegas Review-Journal. How's that for a weekend? If you're a sports fan, that was, and then I didn't even mention the UFC fight and everything else that happened, F1 in Miami and all of that. Let's get Fred Bolitnikoff in here, one of the greatest of all time, dear, dear friend and mentor to me, the MVP of Super Bowl Eleven, as you know, one of the greatest to ever play the game, an AFL champion, a Florida State legend and pro football and college football Hall of Famer. And we have his golf tournament coming up a week from today. It starts Sunday night into Monday. I'm emceeing it again. It's one of the great honors of my career. And Freddie joins us in advance of the tournament. How are you, Fred? JT, I'm doing great. <laughs> you know, we were you? good. We were texting before the Derby. And after the Derby, what was it like sitting at home watching that race? No idea that a long shot could win as the favorites were up in front. How much fun did you have watching that? Oh, my God. I'll tell you what. You know, I'm sitting here watching it. And, of course, you know, you're always watching the horses in the front. You know, they're going, I'm going, Jesus, they're battling back and forth. All of a sudden, I look, I'm, I look up at the screen from the, to the horses in the back. I see the horse, like, cut over. He's near the rail, and I'm going like, oh, he's going to come right down the rail. And there was a horse in front of him. The jockey pulls him inside and just sprints right up that hole and goes in there and just outruns everybody. It was amazing. I'll tell you, this guy came out of nowhere. My God, what a race. <laughs> I mean, what a, I'll tell you, well, what a thrill for those people that own that horse. My God. And look how cheap they got him for, too. My no God. Doubt. Yeah, it's an incredible story. Paid one sixty three sixty on that, uh, the second highest payout of all time. I like about five thousand on that was on his nose, huh? That'd be hey, perfect. Uh, tell everybody you got a horse racing background in the off season back in the old old days when you came to the Raiders. Share that with us. Oh my God! You know, well back then, you know, we were we were making decent money, like about twenty twenty two thousand dollars a year. All right, and so you know, we all had to find jobs. So. For two years, I parked cars out at Golden Gate Fields. I made just about as much money there as I did when I was playing with the Raiders. But I did that for two years. There was about five of us that played. That was our off-season jar, uh, job, uh, valeting cars. That, that's what we did. It was unbelievable. 
And, uh, you know, that, you know, you get a good education being out there at the track. I'll tell you what, you think, you think you go to college or high school for an education, spend some time out there at the racetrack. You'll get a hell of an education, but it was fun. That's what we did. And it was a good time. We had fun doing it. And like I said, we made decent money. You're we young made and, decent money. You're young in your career at that point. You're valeting cars on the way to a Hall of Fame career. What was that like with the people you met, the movers and shakers from the East Bay, San Francisco, international people coming in? And did you have a liking for the ponies? Did you pick up a lot of information that you wouldn't have had if you didn't have that job? <laughs> I learned to bet long shots because we had an hour <laughs> lunch. Okay, maybe we could catch two races, so... You know, for the fun of it, you start, you know, I'll take a shot at the one of the longest ones on the board, see if it comes in. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of get hooked on it. You meet all kinds of people, and the people that that uh, follow the, the meets around all over that work for it full-time year-round, I mean, are interesting people. They've been around horses. They've been betting all their lives and uh, doing the cars and, and, you know, just accommodating everybody that comes to the racetrack each day. And then you meet all people from different, you know, different times of life. I mean, you know, one time you're driving a truck down to the valet, and next time you're driving a Mercedes Benz down. <laughs> and uh, it's a, uh, I'll tell you what, if you want to meet an interesting group of people, uh, that was the place to meet them at the racetrack. Hall of Famer Fred Bolitnikoff joins us. One thing about your salary back then and needing to have a second job, and that was a big, big part of your legacy as you had to worry about that. You were doing well. You're, you're going to pro bowls. You're having an unbelievable career. You're playing in the biggest games. And, and one of the things, many things I love about you is you're not one of those guys who live in the past. You saw the Devonte Adams contract and the amount of money that he made in an era where you didn't make it. And you're always congratulating these young kids, Hunter Renfro, who you keep in touch with on the money they're making and the success they're having. Uh, you, you know what? Uh, uh, you know what? For years, you know, that was the one thing with the NFL. I mean, you know, they're, you know, if guys want in, in my period of time, if guys want to be a free agent, you're basically cutting yourself. You know, you want to be a free agent, go be a free agent. Nobody would pick anybody up very few times, if any at all. So that was eliminated for guys. So you had no, there was no threat for guys to go to another team and be in a, uh, you know, in, in a position of bargaining. You know, and at that time, you know, all the owners, the teams are trying to keep the salaries down low. And so, you know, for example, if you wanted to go in and get a $5,000 raise, you know, or $2,500 raise, I mean, you were battling for your life. You know, that's, that's basically how it was. I mean, it was just a battle to try to get a couple thousand dollar raise. And that was everybody. And then things start changing a little bit. My, towards the end of my career, guys were getting paid a lot more money. And then now... You know, I'm I'm happy to see these guys make the money. You know, I mean, it's been years. I mean, hell yeah, would I like to be making that money? Everybody <laughs> would, you know. Yeah. But, you know, the thing that goes along with it goes a lot of responsibility, too. And maybe guys don't take it take it that way. But, you know, you, hey, listen, you, you get an opportunity to play four or five years making that kind of money, and you never have to work again, you know. And it's like I say, hey, stupid, don't be stupid. And we still see the same things that went on back in the late 60s, middle 60s, the 70s. You run into a lot of stupid ball players, you know, that, that just, uh, to be honest, just piss away their career. You know? Bullock, yeah. and, and nowadays, uh, it's just not a career. 
it's a lifetime of luxury that you're, you're, you're throwing away. Unbelievably said, Hall of Famer Fred Bolitnikoff joins us. You know, we're both friends with Reggie Jackson, but you played in the era of Reggie in the same ballpark where the A's played and the Raiders played. And Reggie tells me the story, and he's told everybody that after one of his great seasons, he sits down with Charlie Finley, and he's he's sitting there asking for a raise. And Charlie's like, but Reggie, you weren't available for three games. There were three games you weren't available. And Reggie's looking around having the greatest years. You know, let's stay with that again on the struggle to get more money in that era. And a lot of guys didn't have agents. And if you did and you wanted to get represented or you had to go to the owner, you had a great relationship with Mr. Davis. And then you played a long time in your career. And then you coached after that for your pension. So you were around the sport a long time, went and played in Canada but, man, you're a great example, Fred. You saw the economics of football from the time you started coming out of Florida State all the way to now where you're on the sidelines for games now with the Raiders and how the money changes hands. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. You know, I mean, you listen, you know, we got to see all these guys with the A's play. And we played in the same stadium, so we were able to see some of, a lot of the ball games and get to know these guys personally. I mean, they're fantastic, great, legendary guys. I mean, you got a guy living in Las Vegas now, Raleigh Fingers, you know. So, you know, he was part of that whole group. And, you know, to see them play such excellent ball and then to see an organization slowly basically give those guys and show them the door. And, you know what, it must have been contagious because the A's still do it now. (laughs) <laughs> that's one of the big complaints with fans. Wow. They get a good ball player in there that's doing excellent. Next thing you know, he's going to another team. And and all those guys that left the A's, I mean, all had great careers after they left the A's. So it wasn't like they were at the end of their careers. I mean, you know, you Reggie, Raleigh, the whole the whole group. I mean, unbelievable. And they all had great careers when they went to different teams. Yeah, they did, and what a run they had with the Oakland A's when you were having the great oh, run boy. What with a the run. Oakland Raiders. Yeah, it was amazing. Fred Bolitnikoff joins us, Hall of Famer. So let's talk about your golf tournament and how people come to support the legacy of your late daughter, Tracy. From the beginning of this tournament, now the first time it will be in Vegas, and the success you've had in the past with this Hall of Fame Classic in the Bay Area, and so many sponsors and people that stepped up with you over the years, building Tracy's Place of Hope, multiple homes, now to have that opportunity to connect with the fans in Las Vegas. Let's get into that. Oh, it's, uh, you know what's amazing? You know what? It's, it was, you know, after our last tournament up here, up in, you know, in, in, a North, you know, in, in the Bay Area, you know, uh, Angela wanted to take a shot, said, let's, you know, let's move it to Las Vegas. And even though, you know, it's not like you're just going down a co- an hour away or two hours away to get t- things taken care of. No, it's someplace that you don't have access to, uh, you know, access to on a daily basis. You know, so I said, yeah, hell, let's do it. Okay, fine. So we took a shot. And I'll tell you what, the response with the people in Las Vegas has been unbelievable, you know, and they've been so generous to us with uh, media coverage, uh, People buying foursomes with our golf tournament. We had our crab feed that everybody responded really, really well to us down there uh, for our crab feed last fall. And uh, it was just fantastic the way we've been treated. And to be able to bring uh, a a lot of guys. I mean, my God. I mean, the guys we have is uh, unbelievable. And coming down, you know, we got a a week away. And, you know, we we only have a, a couple spots open. Yes. You know, and uh, that's probably been the first time in about four or five years that we've been uh, 
close to not being able to put anybody else in anymore. So we just have a few things left open, mm-hmm. places left open on a golf course for people to play or buy a foursome where people want to come in and just buy singles or whatever. You know, that's still available, you know, but it's mm-hmm. it's closing quick. And, you know, we're happy, and the, the guys that we have coming in have been supporting us in a, for a long, long time. We've got a, some new guys coming in this year that are fantastic mm-hmm. athletes have a great history of being outstanding athletes that, you know, people would enjoy playing with and meeting and being around. And it's just a fantastic venue for us to come. And uh, we're happy. I mean, we're at Derek Canyon Gate, yes. you know, which is terrific. You know, Danny Serafin, a great friend of ours, Hall of Famer from Chicago, the, the drummer, uh-huh. uh, you know, was one of the reasons that, you know, we were able to talk to the people at Canyon Gate. So that's worked out really well. And so, Hey, listen, we're on the move, okay? And we're happy the way the response we've gotten in Las Vegas and, you know, from the Raiders and everybody else, the groups that, that are participating from Las Vegas, uh, been very helpful. The Chamber of Commerce has been very helpful with Angela to Angela. And uh, they've been a great deal of help. And like I said, the media has been fantastic. It's the Fred Bolitnikoff Hall of Fame Invitational. It's coming up Sunday. We'll be at the JW Marriott for a big gala. We go into Monday, the golf at Canyon Gate. And again, all the Hall of Famers who are showing up, not just Hall of Famers in football, Hall of Famers in other walks of life. Uh, Freddie, a couple more on the way out here. I I just think it's really interesting because your late daughter, her legacy, when you get to meet a young girl at risk and she needs the home and she needs the mentorship, and her life needs to go down a different path. How fulfilling is that when you and Angela get a chance to sit down with that young woman who ends up graduating, comes out of the home, and can get her back, get her life back on track again? Well, you, you know what? We, de- we deal, you know, we, we support, you know, like Kona Nee up here and other groups that Angela, you know, goes out and, get, you know, helps to donate money to and everything. And it's basically with adolescent girls, high-risk girls, that that have had nothing in their life. I mean, it, like Tracy's Place of Hope, I mean, over the years, the people, the girls that we've had come in there for a number of years and graduate out of the program has been fantastic. I mean, it, it's so sad to hear their stories because of the fact that, you know, some of them never had a bedroom. Some of them never slept in a bed. Some of them never were able to sit down in, in, in a home and call it home and know that uh, there are so many things available to you and, you know, you, they, they, they meet other girls that they've never met before, and they get along, and they all have the, you know, some type of background that, you know, it's really an ugly background with, with kids that, you know, you look, you meet them, and you talk with them and visit with them, and you really find out what they've gone through in their life, and it really is terrible. I mean, the things that these kids have to battle through, I mean, I don't know, how, I don't even know how they, they, they're still alive. Most of them, but they come into the program and, you know, they're all, it's like everybody, you'd be a little intimidated, Mm -hmm. but then after about 30 days, 60 days, you see the smile coming back on their face and they feel comfortable. They feel at home, they feel safe and they're around people that love them, that show them a lot of love. And our part has always been, you know, we're going to try to provide the best type of facility for, for all, all the girls, all the adolescents that is first class and they can come and actually be proud of being somewhere and being able to live there and be able to share experiences, share part of their life 
and make that next step from all the years that they've missed. And now somebody's giving them an opportunity to go back and they're never going to capture those years, but they know and they learn that, you know, there's nothing like going forward. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel for you. Fred Bolitnikoff, the Hall of Famer, as we wrap it up, the golf tournament uh, next Sunday, Monday. I'll be out there emceeing it again. It's one of the most fulfilling opportunities I get in my life to see these victories, these great stories about these young girls who were able to help along the way. Finally, Freddie, knowing Mr. Davis while he was alive and how long you go back with Mark Davis, now that you've been to Vegas so many times, from the M Resort to signings at Caesars, up and down the Strip, now you're getting used to it. Did you ever imagine? <laughs> did you ever imagine this now? Because you know your life in the Bay Area, all the way from Florida State, that this reality in the desert after the NFL draft and the Super Bowl a couple of years from now, and how the Raiders are thriving in this market. Oh, it's unbelievable! You know the response the Raiders have gotten uh, from the people coming from LA, the Bay Area, Arizona, wherever people are still coming. And it's the Raider Nation, and they're still going to support the team. They're going to come, and a, and the place that they can come to is fantastic. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, when you try to explain to people what the stadium is like inside and what everything in the hallways, you know, you're walking around, seeing everything, it's just amazing. And how they have it set up for all the people coming to watch the games is that they have, a, they have whatever they want in that stadium to have a good time during that game. If it's drink, eat, whatever, you you have the big screens, you have TVs all over the place, you got food all over the place. It's 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 unbelievable. You know, you're not you're not looking uh uh for the, for that uh, for that truck with the food outside <laughs> to get something to eat. You know, it's right there at, at your fingertips. And you know, and the Raiders have done a fantastic job. You know, from you know with the players, with the new coaches now, the alumni, uh, you know, it's been fantastic what they've accomplished and in a short period of time, too. You know, Absolutely. that's a great thing. In a short period of time, you have a facility that, well, you know what? The, the bottom line is this. You have a facility that everybody in the world, in the country, wants to come to see and see a ball game in. They want to come and see the Raiders in this facility playing. Absolutely. Freddie, tell everybody where they can get the remaining tickets if they want to join us on Sunday and Monday, how they can get in touch and uh, get out there because everybody in the Raider Nation should be at this event. It is a crown jewel when it comes to a Hall of Fame golf invitational and a great opportunity for the first time in Vegas. Where do we send everybody, Fred? Well, you just go on Bletnikoff.org, mm-hmm. okay, and just you know link onto there. And it'll take you through the different steps and show everything, show about our foundation and take you right to the events that we have, uh, uh, you know, that we're, we're doing and how to buy tickets, what to do, what donations you can make, whatever is possible is going to be on that screen for you to link to. So awesome. you go to org. It'll give us, uh, give you our office number down in Dublin, California. And, uh, and they go from there. That's simple. It is that simple. It's that important. Please make a donation if you can't attend. If you can't attend, come on out and be a part of a great event. Freddie, I'll see you later this week. You've never sounded better. Thanks for doing this. (laughs) Take care, Fred. Well, I'll tell you what. Thank you. I'll tell you, we had a hell of a Mother's Day yesterday. It was great, you know. So uh, it was fantastic, and we had a lot of fun. 
And uh, we're moving a little slow today, but we're picking up the pace now. You got it. Take care. I'll see you this week. Thank you. All right, buddy. Thank you. Fred Bolitnikoff. Everybody, please go to Bolitnikoff.org. Pick up a ticket. Make a donation to Tracy's Place of Hope. Be a part of something really important inside the Raider Nation. So that's next Sunday and Monday. And I'll be off on Monday, and I'll be at that event golfing and introducing all the Hall of Famers. And what my best memories, and we went a little long there, but Fred was ready to roll before we come back. My best memories, I want to just share this with you quickly. Talk about how lucky, how lucky I've been in life with this organization. So I've been doing this event, I think it's year 19 or 20 for me, going on 24 years with the team ever since this event started. And a couple of times, we're back at the room with Ken Stabler and Marv Hubbard, and Otis Sistrunk, and the bar cart comes in after the event, and Freddie Sweet. And I just sit there in the corner with a couple of guys and listen. And I, I got so much satisfaction of hearing Snake and Freddie talk football with cocktails in their hand, telling stories, laughing like you've never heard guys laugh. Cliff Branch in the room, Phil Villapiano, George Atkinson, All the great Raider legends of all time. And a lot of Hall of Famers are coming to this event. As always, we'll talk about that list throughout the rest of the week. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. I hope you had a great Mother's Day. If you got a chance to spend time with your mom, if your mom's no longer with us, if you found time to pay respect and have a great weekend here, the best to my wife, my mom, my mother-in-law, and all the moms in our life here. Fred Bolitnikoff, the big event coming up this week. I'll get the voice ready for it. It's a long week building up to it, but always a great time. When we come back, former Raider quarterback Aaron Brooks will join us here. Phone lines are open, 702-365-9200. If you've been to Freddy's Golf Tournament, let us know. Tell us a story. Let us know how important Fred means to you. We're a talk show. We interview people, and we look for you to react to it. On Twitter at JTTheBrick. That was brought to you by P.T.'s. Best happy hour in town, 5 to 7, midnight to 2. Head on out to P.T.'s for a great sport experience and happy hour. This JT the Brick Legends moment is brought to you by M Resort, the official team headquarters hotel of the Las Vegas Raiders. Man, I'm so excited. I'm so excited to show this conference, uh, Raider Nation, to show them my talents. And, and not that, I, that if they didn't know, um, I'm excited for them to see me in silver and black, second quarterbacks, honestly. And not to make any guarantees, but I think I'm going to be doing a lot of it. That's Chandler Jones, who has to have a great year. Yannick Ngakwe had double-digit sacks. He was traded. The Raiders get Rakia Sin to come back and play corner, and they bring in Chandler Jones. The production out of Chandler Jones has to be at a beast level, opposite side of Mad Max Crosby. JT, back with you, brought to you by M Resort Spa and Casino. Aaron Brooks is kind enough to join us, drafted initially by the Green Bay Packers in the fourth round of 1999 Traded to New Orleans, and what a trade that was for the Saints as he's a member of the Saints Hall of Fame, and he came to the Raiders in 2006. Aaron, thanks for the time. Good to talk to you. How you been? Uh, Yes, sir. JT, appreciate you having me on, man. Doing great. 
Excellent. So happy to hear from you and your career. And we'll get to the Raiders a little bit, but I wanted to start off with Newport News and the athletes that came out of that region, Iverson, you uh-huh. and all the other great people. What was going on as you were growing up as a kid, throwing the ball around? I'm sure you were playing hoops and baseball. What a sports community, huh? Yeah, they, we like to say it's something, it was, it's something in the water down there, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Al Davis used to love us, man. <laughs> that is fantastic. So you're growing up as a kid, you're an elite athlete, and then you end yep. up going to Virginia. What was the recruiting process with your career in high school and Virginia being the choice for you? Well, I was highly touted, but I didn't have a clue which where I wanted to go, which direction I wanted to go. Um, so I just decided to stay closer to home. Uh, for family reasons, and um, UVA was um, a really good choice for me. I was um, very pleased and proud of what happened and how everything turned out uh, down uh, up in UVA. So that's pretty much um, yeah. how I went down. Yeah, and it's a great school, an unbelievable alma mater for you to be a part of. Aaron Brooks joins us. So then it's the Brett Favre world you get yeah. drafted into, and you come to the Packers – in 99, what was that like? Because you go in the fourth round. If you go in the third or earlier, you can go anywhere else. When you got the news, you know, Newport News from Virginia, now you're going to go to the coldest place in the world to play for the Packers. What was that like? <laughs> I was like, what the hell? I said, nothing else I can learn from Brett. So I just went in with total confidence. And I think what um, I saw early on from Brett uh, gave me all the confidence to know that, hey, look, I could play in this league. And um, I learned a few things, studied my butt off, and uh, had a great year competing with uh, Matt Hasselback as well as, um, you know, just learning from afar from Brett. So um, I'm glad I didn't stay there for for the uh, for other reasons, meaning mm-hmm. how cold it was. I just couldn't take that, that cold. But, uh, you know, it was a fun year. It was, it was a fun year. It was a really good experience. You know, Brett Favre got a little bit of heat with Aaron Rodgers for not mentoring him. Clearly, Brett wanted to keep his job, and – Aaron Rodgers turned out to be arguably as good, if not better, long-term. He just won back-to-back MVPs after already winning MVPs. Uh-huh. Did you get that yeah. impression, or did Brett really want to help you? And You know, you're a third-string quarterback at that time. You come in, and Brett Favre's got Hasselbeck, who's a damn good backup at that point in time. What was it like for you? Did, he, did, he feel like, did you feel like you were a part of the team and he wanted to help you? Yeah, I always feel like I was part of the team, but you got to remember, I'm the young, new kid on the block, and no, no – um, quarterback wants to feel like they have to mentor a young player. Um, you look at what Ryan Tannehill said um, and what Coach Reed said that, hey, look, I'm not here to uh, – uh, and Brett said it too. He was like, look, I'm not here for you to teach you to take my job. Mm-hmm. And I understood that. But, you know, the lessons learned was, you know, watching him from afar, showing what, you know, what he was able – seeing what he was able to do and in, in, in return – um, kind of duplicated it and making it in my own style or just um, making my, my weaknesses stronger because he had all experience. You got to remember, they had just won the Super Bowl, I think, in 97. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't expect too much. I just wanted to compete and make the football team. And Because um, as a rookie, you just don't know how things are going to turn out. Their story, second round is getting uh, cut, first round is getting cut. You just, that, that strikes fear in a young player's heart. So you just want to make the team. And so, um, you know, it was, it was a heck of an experience, and I, and I enjoyed it. And I, and I appreciate uh-huh. what he did and didn't do for me because it just made me a better player. 
Aaron Brooks is our guest. So you go to New Orleans in a really big, high-profile trade, and then you come in and you take over for Jeff Blake, who was sidelined with a broken foot. This stat is incredible to me. In your first NFL start, you led the Saints to a victory over the Super Bowl reigning champs, the Rams, becoming the first quarterback in the history of the NFL to defeat the defending Super Bowl champions on the road in your first career start. Walk me through that game. I mean, that hasn't been done since. That's a pretty cool record to hang out, to have when you're sitting at the barbecue with your family and friends. Well, you know, sometimes a little bit of luck has to play along, right? And so I was fortunate and unfortunate for Jeff that he got hurt. So when I came in, we uh, I'm, <laughs> it's funny. When I first came, got in the game, I came in against the Raiders, and I threw for like 441 yards in like three and a half quarters. Right, and so that following week we was up against the um, the Rams, the greatest show on turf. And I just after that game, I just felt like I had all the confidence in the world. Um, I can recall looking into the camera before hitting the field, like, "Yo, get your popcorn and coke. It's gonna be a show." And um, my teammates they played lights out. You know, they mm-hmm. I, I was just able to do what I was able to do, but they made me look even better than what I, I, I was. And so. Uh, we were very fortunate to come away with that victory because that was a hell of a football team. The Rams, that was a hell of a football team. No, one of the best know. ever. Aaron Brooks is our guest. Aaron, you come to the Raiders. You signed with the Raiders in March 2006. And I remember the optimism for you to come in, but that wasn't a very good team that you came to when you got injured early. The shoulder dislocation and then had to get back and healthy yeah. and back on. That had to yeah. be a really frustrating year for you, knowing you had an opportunity to be the starter and be the quarterback there for years to come. Walk me through any regrets you have at that time and how difficult that part was in your career. Yeah, I mean, I don't have any regrets. If I did, it's probably I wish I could have been more of a help to the team. I wish I hadn't gotten hurt early. Um, at that, that year, we had the number one defense in the league, which was absolutely amazing, the way they performed uh, on the football field. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we couldn't really hold our end of the bargain on the offensive end of the ball. But, I mean, having likes of Randy Moss and uh, Lamont Jordan um, that was in the back here at the time was um, a really fun year. I think the greatest thing that happened for me is that I became a Raider. And I love being a Raider. I talk about it to this day. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm very appreciative of all the other organizations. But Raiders, the Raiders have this mystique that one can never forget. And I love the fact that mystique still exists, and the fan base is one is like second to none, and um, I just embrace that at all. I never felt so comfortable. I never felt so good being a part of an organization like I did with the Raiders. So, you know, no knock on other organizations. I had a great time, but the mystique, the you know the 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 history of the the Raiders at this time was the Oakland Raiders. It was a beautiful thing, man. Nicely I, I'm said. not going to kid you not. It's just a beautiful thing. And I and I hope every player feels the same way that I feel to this day, That's whether it's current or former players. And, and they do, the organization does a great job of a, making it all inclusive for every player. Once a Raider, always a Raider. And I'm going to forever be a Raider. And I appreciate you, JT, for having me on. Yeah, that that is really nice, and our listeners really appreciate it. Hey, lastly, tell us what's going on, Aaron. What are you doing with your life now, post football, and what's next for you in your life with your family? What's going on? Yeah, man, I got three kids, man, and all of them are teenagers. <laughs> so oh, that boy. tells you I'm getting a little older. But um, 
life is good. I'm still in my mid-40s. I'm in my mid-40s, and um, I got into real estate. I got into real estate. I partnered up with uh, my company, Tidewater Partners Property. Um, partner up and signed a joint venture agreement with um, uh, Amada Hoffler, which is one of the biggest mid-Atlantic um, developer and construction companies um, in the area. And um, things are going great. I came, we came back. I came back home and partnered up with them and got with the city of Mooper News. And now we're doing a commercial development that consists of. I would say close to 100,000 square feet of retail property uh, from a grocery store um, uh, that's an anchor to um, partnership with uh, the shipyard, Huntington Ingalls, um, and uh, many other retail shops that, nice. we, that we're doing an excellent job with. So it's, it's, it's been great living a smooth, leisure, comfortable life um, thanks to uh, all the organizations that accepted my talents. Great to talk to you. I really enjoyed our conversation. Hope to see you out here in uh, Vegas, Aaron. It'd be great to see you again. Once a Raider, always yes, a Raider. We appreciate you. Yes, sir. Be there, there sooner, sooner than later, baby. Thanks again, JP. You got it. Aaron Brooks, everybody. And that is the pure example I can give you as, of once a Raider, always a Raider. I won't forget that interview. Let me remind everybody, Aaron Brooks only played one year for the Raiders. Team's record was 2-14. and 14. Two and 14, and he wasn't brought back. And he said, once a Raider, always a Raider. And he's proud of him of, of being a Raider. He got injured early. In the first game of that season, and I remember it vividly, he was sacked nine times by the Chargers. Raiders lost 27-0. He dislocated his shoulder in the second game against Baltimore, missed a whole bunch of time, and then came back. And Andrew Walter at the time was two and five over that span. Now, I remember it like, like yesterday. I came to the Raiders in 1990. Raiders went to the Super Bowl in 2003. So they were changing. It was the changing of the guard for the Raiders. You know, and they, that, was, that was probably the worst season I remember. Hosting the pre- and post-game show, 2-14. and 14. He was a hell of a player. And it didn't work. It didn't work out. It didn't work out with Jamarcus Russell. Right? It didn't work out with a lot. Robert Gallery comes on for this segment. It didn't work out. You treat these guys like family. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Now he's a dad. He's got teenage kids. You don't judge him from the 2-14 and 14 record. You appreciate what he said on the back end of that interview, how much the Raiders mean to him. I opened up my email Saturday. They're like, you're going to have Aaron Brooks on. I was like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Aaron Brooks, let me go back and look at his Raider record. Wasn't very good. But he's a hell of a quarterback. He's in the New Orleans Saints Hall of Fame. So remember, this is a family. We interview guys who played one season. Eight games. We had Fred Bolitnikoff kick off the show. Maybe one of the top three, four players in Raiders history, period. But they're all part of our family here, and we put them on the radio. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Brought to you by M Resort, Resort Spa and Casino. I hope you enjoy those interviews because you find out a name from the past. We connect with the Raiders, and they all want to come back. They all want to be a big part of this team, which is really cool. God, I remember him playing. I remember him in New Orleans, and we think of Mike Vick, and we think of athletic quarterback Steve Young. Whoever the quarterback is, Lamar Jackson now. Aaron Brooks was athletically as good as anybody. He, his arm was a monster, but you know he played at a tough time with the Raiders and uh, was only there for one season for a number of games here. He only played eight games with the Raiders and didn't have a very good year, but the Raider organization means everything to him. All right, now I'm open. 
We got Mac in L.A. Mac, I appreciate you calling the show and being patient. Start us off, Mac. How are you? Good. How you doing? Doing well. Uh, good, good, good. Hey, um, I went to a couple of things with uh, Hacksaw Hamilton. That was a great interview on Friday. Man. Oh, thank you. I, I, I used to listen to him. He was one of the first guys I started listening to, man. And, you know, his career has been all over the place. I mean, from Seattle to this place. But that was a great interview listening to Hacksaw. I hadn't heard him in, in a mm. long time. That was there. Hey, uh, I know this is our our, our station and mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and there's some good things like the um, the Kentucky Derby that you brought up, man. Mm-hmm. With um, uh, Rich Stack, that was that was great, man. That was one of the best calls. I, I love the call like you did. Um, the one thing though, I do want to, uh, and I'm not hanging up on this. I just I just wanted to find out. I know we got to deal with the good, the bad, and the ugly, but mm-hmm. damn betrayal. Which yep. is the alleged stuff. I haven't heard anybody talk about it from the Raider organization, and I know, I, you know, because my thing is is that I know Mark Mark uh, come out with a statement once mm-hmm. everything clears, but his statements are really those are serious allegations. Yep. You know, I I have a daughter and and, uh, and you know a wife and and and, and girls too, and I just want to make sure that you know. That we're doing the right thing in our organization, mm-hmm. which which it is. But yeah. uh, Dan Vitrell, those are serious allegations that he came up with. The allegations to that proven, but um, I haven't heard anybody talk about it uh, on our station. Yeah. All right. Well, let me jump in and give you my opinion. Okay. Let me jump in and give you my opinion okay, on no this. Problem. We we have no information. This is an internal matter within the organization. Mark Davis, my longtime friend, is one of the most inclusive people. I've ever seen. I am in the Raider building all the time. I know everybody inside the Raider building. It's very inclusive. And Mark Davis is the leader of that franchise. And all I've seen from Mark Davis is unbelievable treatment of people along the way. So these accusations, I believe they have no merit. That's just my opinion. And things are fluid at times. But I will run through a wall for Mark Davis for what he's done and what I've seen him do in the work environment from buying the Las Vegas Aces and being inclusive to everything that I've ever seen him do, from writing checks to the Blitnikoff Foundation, doing everything he does in town, and being who he is to me, my friend. My friend on top of being my boss. So as far as I know, I know nothing. I'm not privy. From time to time, people stop me and they go, hey, JT, what do you think of this? And I look at him, I go, really? You think I'm in the, in the room with an attorney? You think I'm in the room in a private meeting as they're talking about any issue that has to do with hiring, firing, anyone resi- uh, resigning? No. I'm, that's not my pay grade. I run a fast-paced radio show, and I put Raider fans on the radio, and we give you Raiders content. But you better believe it. If it comes to me and anybody asks me my opinion on Mark Davis, long, long, long ago, I've been with Mark in every possible environment you could be in every possible environment in his home on the road in london in the building at practice and all i've seen him do is treat people with tremendous respect all the time that has never changed once so if you come to me on this you know where i stand and i could give a crap what everybody what anybody thinks of my response let me get that out of the way I've been here, again, since, since, since 1998. I've seen pretty much everybody come and go. And many of the people who left are my friends. 
and they've gone on to great things and other opportunities in life. But for me, it all goes back to the Raider organization and how they treat me and how they treated my family and how I've seen them treat others. Is it always perfect? No. Has it been perfect coming to Vegas and leaving Oakland? No. But Mark Davis cares about everyone from minorities, when it comes to gender, when it comes to any issue, I've only seen Mark Davis at the top treating people the way they should be treated. And some people don't treat him well. And it's been a joy of mine in my career to stand on the radio, no matter where I've been, the flagship in the Bay Area, nationally, on Fox and Mad Dog, and tell people about the experiences I've had with Al Davis, Mrs. Davis, and Mark Davis. And I know them, and I know them well, and I know their thoughts and their passion and what they do in the community. So again, I believe this is meritless. Again, I know a lot of people involved in this want to know more. And when they tell us what happens next, I'll report on it. You better believe where my loyalty and my opinion stands. That will never be doubted on this show. There you go. So hopefully we answered that. 702-365-9200. JT, as we roll on here, Harry Ruiz, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black, and Schmitty next hour. Yeah, you know, it's not like, you know, I got paid now, so I'm going to be even louder. And, you know, it, that doesn't really change. You know, I just try to be the same same guy every single day. Um, like I said before, you know, I just try to lead by example, um, show everybody that I'm putting in the work every single day for my guys, um, not only for myself. I want to help make my teammates better um, and lead them and show them a way because I know it worked for me. Um, committing yourself in every single way you can from sleep to food to everything um and that's what i try to you know preach to the young guys and even older guys i've helped you know i've helped guys who've been in the league for eight years so it's like you know i just try to lead by example um every single day and that's that's all i'm all i'm going to continue to do mad max crosby jt back with you brought to you by resorts world where I was over the weekend. I'm always at Resorts World. It's easy. It's free parking. You come in. You get right off the elevator. Their gorgeous theater where all the big shows are and Doghouse Saloon, which is their sports book and sports bar that also turns into a great place to see live music. And then I slide over to 8 Lounge, the best cigar lounge I've ever been to. All inside Resorts World, long-term proud partner of our show as they come back with us for another year in my home for Monday Night Football. That's Mad Max, as you just heard. One of the great leaders you could ever imagine in success stories financially in Raider history. Really is, if you just heard what he said about getting that contract extension and how he helps players that are older than him, younger than him. Fred Bolitnikoff kicked off the show and we talked about, you know, Freddie was making 22000 a year. You hear that? 22000 a year parking cars at Golden Gate Field for two years to make ends meet with kids and getting his life going. As Freddie talked about it so eloquently, now players are making, you know, they're getting deals now with generational wealth. Generational wealth. Like Max Crosby's going to make enough money because all the money is going to be guaranteed with Max if he stays healthy and he, and he gets better and better. Then you get over $100 million, $80 million in an extension, your family, your mom, your kids never have to worry about money. If, as long as you don't blow it, and Max has got his life in order, he's not going to blow it. 
So that's a big topic on the show today is the amount of money that players are making. And as Freddie said, you know, you can't screw it up. Don't screw it up. There's been plenty of people that screw it up. Just don't screw it up. Do your job. And I think that's the core of the Raiders now, if you look at the key players and how hard they work. The hardest working guy I've ever seen up close was Rich Gannon. I never saw anything like it because I had big access. I was in the building, and I saw Rich come in at some weird hours. I think Derek does the same. And then you got Devontae Adams and Max Crosby. And who out, who out works those guys? The Raiders have tremendous work ethic. It's got to pay off coming off a 10-win season. Harry Ruiz joins us next as we look at the roster post-draft. James Smitty-Smith, the boxing insiders on Canelo's loss next hour.